this is Penny Johnson, and you're listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In this episode, we continue with Geraldine Farr, The Story of an American Singer, written by Geraldine Farr and published in 1916 by Houghton Mifflin Company. Chapter 5 I Refuse to Sing at the Metropolitan Through Miss Thursby I met Dr. Holbrook Curtis, the eminent New York throat specialist, and became his patient. His unfailing, kindly interest and loyal friendship did much for me. One of the amusing events of that early spring of 1898 was a society puppet show which Dr. Curtis staged in New York. There were tableaux and songs and recitations all for charity, and then came the puppet show itself, in which I appeared as Calvé in a Carmen costume. Imagine a long stretch of painted canvas across the stage, with the costumes painted grotesquely beneath openings through which the performers' heads appeared. Dr. Curtis himself assumed the role of Maurice Grau, director of the Metropolitan, and his makeup was splendid. Various other amateurs impersonated Melba, Jan Doretsky, and other stars. The idea of the skit was to show the trouble Mr. Grau had in managing his company of stars. There was much amusing dialogue, and I remember my complaint as Calvé was that I was asked to sing for nothing at all too many benefits. In Dr. Curtis's office I soon afterward met Mrs. Grau, wife of the famous director, and she insisted that I should sing for her husband. It was proposed to stage a big special performance of Mignon at the Metropolitan with Melba as Philine and a star cast for the benefit of the families of the victims of the main disaster, and Mrs. Grau thought that, should I please her husband, he might consider the occasion a propitious one to introduce me in grand opera, as the role of Mignon was admirably suited to my youth and vocal abilities. I had studied stage deportment with Victor Capul and knew the opera backward and forward in both French and Italian. I own I was greatly tempted and eager to make so auspicious a beginning. Such an offer to a sixteen-year-old girl, I think, would be calculated to twist any young woman's head awry. Fortunately, upon reflection, good sense intervened and saved me from what might have been a very unwise step. Granted that I made a successful appearance, at best it could be but the sensation of a few hours, and I had no mind to be a singing Cinderella for one night. When my triumph should come, if it ever did, it must be the beginning of a well-defined career, and I was far too young and ignorant to tread this difficult and dazzling path so soon. Nevertheless, Mrs. Grau made an appointment for me to sing for her husband, privately, as I thought, but when I appeared on the stage of the Metropolitan, 
I found him surrounded by a great many people, members of the Metropolitan Company, business associates and advisors, and others. What my emotions were when I passed in through the stage door, I cannot describe. Curiously enough, this time the empty house did not intimidate, but inspired me. Perhaps I felt the encouraging shadows of the great ones hovering about me. At any rate, I sang as I believe I had never sung before. To everyone's amusement, I dismissed the accompanist, whose laborious efforts were more of a hindrance than an aid to my audition, and, seating myself at the piano, I continued singing to my own accompaniment, as was invariably my habit. Mr. Grau was exceedingly pleased with the promise I showed, and especially predicted a brilliant future in operatic singing, but he seconded my mother's sensibly planned course for me to study more quietly, less in public view, and wait till a few years of hard work and experience had passed over my ambitious little head. As a kind afterthought, he added, no doubt to soften the sting of my disappointment, "'Would you like to sing in one of our Sunday night concerts?' "'No, thank you, Mr. Grau,' I replied. "'No tame concert appearances after my imagination had been dazzled by a possible debut in opera. "'But it might be valuable to you to have your name on the billboards of the Metropolitan Opera House,' he urged good-naturedly. "'You will see it there some day,' I replied with firm conviction. "'He laughed,' and certainly had no more reason to take me more seriously than dozens of other young hopefuls who dreamed of some day storming the metropolitan doors. Quite without my knowledge or consent, various reports of this and other incidents in regard to my singing reached the newspapers, and I experienced a distinct shock when I read in the New York Herald the following amusing yet caustic criticism. If half of what Miss Geraldine Fowers' enthusiastic friends say of her vocal and dramatic talents is true, then this sixteen-year-old girl from Boston is the dramatic soprano for whom we have all been waiting these many years. With all due respect to the young lady, a lot of rubbish has been circulated as to her marvellous, not to say miraculous, vocal gifts and accomplishments, and she cannot do better than include in the nightly prayers which all good girls say— an earnest invocation to heaven to preserve her from her friends, that she may be saved from the results of overpraise. That Miss Farr has a wonderful gift of song has been attested by so many discreet judges that it is doubtless true, but when alleged admirers of the young singer tack on all sorts of trimmings, such as that Madame Melba wept with joy upon hearing her, and that Madame Nordica said, "'This is the voice of which I have dreamed,' and that Miss Emma Thursby refused to be comforted until Miss Farr consented to come and live with her, it is about time to add, "'And then she woke up.' Why not confine the stories to the simple facts, that she has a remarkable voice, almost phenomenal, in one of her age, which is true?' that her concert successes have been extraordinary, and that, if youthful evidences hold good, she will some day assume an enviable position in grand opera. Isn't that quite enough praise without subjecting Melba to tears, disturbing Nordica's dreams, or suggesting the impossibility of comforting Miss Thursby? 
Miss Farr is a handsome, gifted, and very earnest young girl, and if she has common sense as well as native talent, she will say that little nightly prayer, turn a deaf ear to the adulation of foolish friends, and attend strictly to practicing her scales. Then some day, perhaps very soon, this Boston girl will be electrifying metropolitan audiences as Mademoiselle Ferrarini, the latest operatic comet. I was almost in tears when I read this article, tempered with kindness as it was, for the stories about Melba and Nordica had been the results of the feverish imagination of newspaper reporters who had exaggerated the truth. But the musical critic of the Herald, who penned this prophetic and caustic comet, really did me a great service, and I thank him, for from that moment I determined upon a policy of seclusion and self-effacement. My pursuit for glory should be conducted along the lines of modesty and restraint. Alas for the miscarriage of such good intentions! Seclusion and self-effacement have hardly been synonymous with my euphonious name. You've been listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. If you like what you hear and want to support my creative endeavors, then simply go to ko-fi.com slash Penny Johnson, and you can buy me a lemonade. That's ko-fi.com slash Penny Johnson. Thanks for your support.